The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's us again, talking about games, this time, of the generation, the last seven or so years of PlayStation and Xbox games. There's a few things we have to point out here. There's a few key points of interest. A, no Nintendo games. We're covering the last generation and the Switch is a weird crossover. B, these aren't going to be your typical games of the generation. We're not, you know, we've stated this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks you've been listening to podcasts. We're mavericks. We don't play by the book. What we do is we pick the games. You're not going to see your God of War, your Overwatch, your Witcher, your Red Dead. None of that nonsense. <laughs> what you're getting here is the second layer of games. The, the ones second that we layer love. of games. It's like what it's like shit you know, geography version of gaming is. You this? know, there's like the layers of hell. Well, this is the layers of game heaven. Okay. <laughs> um, with me is Joe Scrabbles. Hello. With me is Matt Perslow. Hello. This is going to be fairly freeform, scattershot, kind of just, you know, this is more classic just, pub chat. This, yeah, it's our, it's just our, oh, I wish I'd got a fucking beer now. That would have been a great idea. Oh, it's well, I think the end this of the is, week for let us. me double check the schedule. It is indeed New Year's Day. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. What a year it was. Um, oh, God. Let's hope. 2021 is better. Oh, you, if it isn't, we're in trouble. You're probably all in No Deal Brexit now. That's only just coming to fruition as we're talking. Oh, amazing! You probably have um, to pay a tax to get this podcast now because of the Europeans. Um, but yeah, yeah, what a world we live in! So why don't we distract from reality by talking about some games mm. that some of them are seven years old? Imagine that. Where were you seven years ago? Uh, that's a good question. I think I was... Oh, I might have been at Official Xbox magazine. Ooh. Probably writing about some of these. I, I definitely did a cover feature on one of my on one of my games while I was a freelancer. That's a fun thing to, to remember. That's actually quite a lovely <laughs> question. You've made me all nostalgic for myself. <laughs> there we go. I like to spring, like, emotional surprise on people. Mm. Um, <laughs> often pleasant. Um, <coughs> Matt. <laughs> yes, Cardi. What were you doing seven years ago? Uh, I was working in a shop, mate, and freelancing in the evenings. It was a lot. Was that when you burnt down the warehouse? Was it burnt down? At, it was. It was burnt down at this point. Yes. Oh, so you'd already burnt down the warehouse. I was working in a tent, technically, rather than a shop. <laughs> <laughs> working like... in a tent, doing evening games freelance. You were living the fallout life. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, what... uh, what a beautiful situation. 
What a lovely situation. I had just graduated from university and didn't have a job and wouldn't have one for another six months because no one wants you when you don't have any experience and I didn't work for free because I'm stubborn. (laughs) So I went a year and didn't earn any money. But now look at me. (laughs) So everything's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Now look at me discussing games from when I didn't have a job. (laughs) Exactly, from when I couldn't buy games. Yeah. Um, Right. I'm go- do you know what? I'm going to kick this thing off. Please do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to open we, up. Sorry, we- sorry. Wait, 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 wait. I don't feel yeah, like yeah, we yeah. fully set out the idea of what we're doing. Okay. Here. What we're doing here is, it's our games of the generation, but we're not picking the obvious ones because we've talked enough about, like I said, we've talked enough about God of War and Overwatch and The Witcher. Everyone knows they're brilliant, or I hope you know they're brilliant. Mm. No, we're going to talk about some of our maybe personal favourites that maybe are more like eights or nines. Yeah. But we love and maybe won't turn up on your typical top ten of the generation list. Yeah, I think that's I think there's a real there's a real possibility. I, thankfully better backwards cap- compatibility means this is less easy than before. But there there was always a possibility to just forget the stuff you really liked right then at that time and then big stuff came along and became like really iconic. And I think there's I think there's something quite nice about just looking back and going Oh, those those games really worked for mm-hmm. me. And if you are going to start with the one at the top of your list, this is absolutely one of those things for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's some games you spent 50 hours with and then you just forget about them. And then you realise, do you know what? I love that. And that's what I am doing by kicking off with Batman Arkham Knight. The which, Look, I'm putting out there. It's the best one of the Arkham games. It is. I, do you know what? You've, you've stolen my big point, but I'm <laughs> glad you did. I'm glad we agree. I... I always go back between this and City. I do love City, but I replayed most of it recently. I still love it, but I do think Night Now has the edge for me. I just think it tells a much clearer story, a much better story, a more personal story, and, you know, it's the same gameplay, but refined. Mm -hmm. It's more beautiful. I know everyone has a problem with the Batmobile. There's only about three tank missions. If you take those out, I think it's a near-perfect Batman game. Also, those tank battles, the stealth bits are bad. Obviously, tank stealth is bad. Actually shooting stuff with your bat tank feels (laughs) like a fucking mech game, and it is wicked. (laughs) Those bits are great, yeah. It's specifically the stealth bits. No one wants to Mm -hmm. do that. I don't know. Like, take those out, and I think you've got, yeah, a near 10 out. I know when it launched, there was big problems on PC, and there was... Depending on what rig you had, like... I I don't want to brag, but I had no problems whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, what what do we think about Arkham Knight? I, I, I think, think it's oh go 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 go. No, so just to tag on from the from the Batmobile stuff, like when you spin up the engines on that, and because it's based on the tumbler, and you're smashing through bits of Gotham, and then you get to catapult yourself out on an ejector seat and zoom mm-hmm. in, and then the way that it tells its story because most of the the Batman games before that are about like the rogues gallery and it's about let's fit as many Batman characters as we can into this storyline and and you go through like lots of boss fights basically this is a story about Arkham Knight and Scarecrow and so it feels mm-hmm. much more like a comic book which has a central villain but because it's set in this open world Gotham it's also like well, yeah, of course the Penguin's around and he's doing this stuff on the side. And if you want to go and do that, absolutely go and do that. You're Batman. It's it's absolutely up to you. But it feels so focused on Batman has a particular problem that he has to solve 
in a city full of criminal fuckers. Mm. I think I still think, so well. I still think there's things that Arkham Knight has done possibly better than any open world game since, which is um, seamlessly building encounters, like major encounters, into its world without markers, without... You know, like creating actual surprises because it is compact open world enough that you can feasibly run into Man Bat going nuts or have Joker appearing on a roof to like laugh at you because he's in your brain and blood. And like um, the way it was the first time I'd ever seen anyone do the like summing up the mission you're on when you come back to the game. Do you remember when um, Alfred would like recap what you were doing in a really oddly seamless way i think it's some of the best art design in an open world to this date like granted i am playing it on ps5 but cyberpunk to me is not doing what arkham knight did for me with creating a big mad neon world like there's something fascinating about how cool gotham looks in that game there's so much to love yeah i like i think pretty much red dead that open world is the one that comes close to it for me like in terms of just things happening like off the cuff and story things just happening like i just i just really i'm gonna this is gonna happen for all these games but i now just really want to replay arkham knight because yeah. i've only i think i only properly played it through once as in the, the whole story so i could easily go back to that and i think there's there is a point to be made there that like red dead is more impressive from a technical point of view and mm-hmm. obviously looks better i'm saying like art design is a thing and also the random encounters those are like story beats those are boss moments red dead like yeah. you have amazing random encounters mm-hmm. but if you're going to the story it's a place to go that you know about i just think like there's a level of confidence in the design of that game it feels like rocksteady just fucking dropping the mic and being like that's it like let wb montreal do what they want with our series we're done <laughs> um yeah i think it's i think it's a brilliant pick it's brilliant game matt <laughs> shall, oh, what have you got yeah shall we carry on with warner brothers then yeah no, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I um, happy new year. Yeah, I think one of the and like this is easy to forget because of how early in the generation it was, but it set a precedent for something that no one ever uses anymore, which is Shadow of War. Sorry, Shadow of Mordor, should I say? Yeah. Um, Shadow of War, I think, is good, but doesn't follow through on quite the promise it could have had. Mm-hmm. But the Shadow of Mordor obviously is. A fairly accomplished faux Assassin's Creed of a of a sort of like, you know, walking around, doing open world activities. But obviously the reason why it is basically the best 7 out of 10 that has ever been made is because underlying it is the Nemesis system, which Christ knows how we're now at the start of a new generation and that is barely used anywhere mm. else. Like, I've started to see elements of it in other games now. The fact that that's not been wholeheartedly lifted because it is the power. Like we all talk about, kind of the water cooler moments that games like like Rockstar's games are very, very good at that. And like even as we've mentioned, kind of Arkham Knight has a few of those things. But there is nothing quite as compelling as being able to talk about the vendetta that an orc had against you that lasted for twenty five hours. Mm. Yeah. And it's so good. I, when he came back to life with a hand chopped off or some shit. <laughs> it's like the guy so that has his face burnt off and when he comes back it's just all bandages that stapled into his bubbly flesh. <laughs> so yeah. good. I was convinced, I mean I'm still we still don't know for sure if it is or isn't a thing, but I thought that either Batman or maybe the Suicide Squad game will use some sort of ne- some sort of nemesis system because that could work like if there's a 
just like a thug who just rises up in a mm. gang and then yeah just has a vendetta against Batman. I mean that happens all the time. We still it? we I still don't know. Don't know I'm what, not Batman. We still don't know what Monolith is working on right now, do we? Uh, that's a very good question. No. I mean, imagine if they were the support studio. They, they're not the sort of studio that would be support, but if they were support for um, Arkham Knights. Mm. No, no, sorry, incredible. Gotham Knights. For Gotham it? Knights, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Shadow of Mordor is like... Review events are a bad thing and should never happen, but it remains the best review event I've ever been to because what happened was to get a copy of the game, because they were Warner Brothers were clearly very unsure whether anyone would understand what the fuck the Nemesis system was. So to get a copy, you had to go to Warner Brothers film offices, sit down, and play the first two hours of the game with them watching so that they could make sure you have done correctly the tutorial and the stuff they want you to do to understand the game. Everyone's going to be playing blind in a few weeks anyway, so it was a stupid thing. Um, But... When I got there, they'd miscounted the number of people for the appointment, and that I was the last one in. I wasn't late, uh, and uh, and they went, and they went. Oh, we're gonna have to sort you an extra seat. Let me just go away and find out where that could be. And I know you've been there, Matt. They took me into their fucking cinema and oh, and put so nice. and put me in the middle of a cinema by myself with a PlayStation Four controller and turned on Shadow of Mordor. And so the first two hours I played of one of my favourite games of the last generation was on a cinema screen with full cinema sound, and it blew my fucking mind. And then I went back to the office, and no one really got it. Like it was kind of a, it was one of those things that like everyone was kind of going ah licensed game, not really sure who cares. Like kind of how Batman Arkham Asylum was when it first came out, and I remember going back to the office and being like, I, I cannot explain how fucking amazing this feature is and how cool that even after two hours I've got like an orc buddy who hates me, <laughs> uh, and it was just like I've I very rarely had a moment like that where I just came away like I have seen something in a AAA game that I have never seen before and I can't believe like you say that we're still not seeing it it's It's because it was like it's original iteration in Shadow of Mordor is sort of perfect like it doesn't I think there's plenty of places it could be iterated on, but you could lift it wholesale and put it in lots of different types of games. There are there are games that I know we're talking about later that I I'm surprised it wasn't actually in. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But there are when I think of this generation, there are so many times that when I think back to to that sort of era, that my favourite moment is the clashing of swords as an orc comes towards you out of oh, like yeah, the fog. Yeah. And then it goes into like the semi cinematic where it comes up who they are, and you sort of like they've got they they gain like different titles, don't they? As you yeah. kind of fuck mm-hmm. them up, and that clang of the swords, and just the orc going Rangel, Rangel, like the amount of different voices that are in like, and I know the orcs have got a fairly distinct kind of vocal range. But there were so many different voices and so many different personalities of those orcs that, mm. yes, you would eventually, because you're fighting orcs all the fucking time, you would eventually <laughs> get multiple versions of it. But when you think about what Watch Dogs Legion did this year, which is sort of based in the same sort of technology, mm. I don't think it felt any more advanced or no, even that's worse. That's what I was 
that's what I was going to bring up. I, when they first talked about it, they were like, "Oh, you're like you might accidentally kill the brother of someone, and yeah. they have a vendetta against you." That never happened. Like, never does someone randomly turn up to you in street and go, "That's the person who killed my brother," or anything. But even like, if they, I think they can, and even if they did, it didn't mean anything. You didn't get the moment. Like, it can just no. happen in the background. You could miss it. Um, that moment, like, I think there's something really important about the way they do that, like breaking in and tur- like turning off interaction for a second to introduce the person. Especially when you get things like that game is purposely difficult so that you do get killed by orcs. And so when the orc that kills you gets promoted and he comes yeah. back and gloats to you, like that's a whole different <laughs> version of that thing. Like, yeah. It's just so well thought out. I love it so much. And like when I they're promoted one now. And, and they get they get all the war drums as well because like they're now like a war hero for the uh, for, for for Mordor's army mm. and just sort of like those little bits of storytelling that gradually build up over time. Like I absolutely love systemic game design. I think it's increasingly become the thing over this generation that has defined games for me, mm-hmm. and that is just I think a perfect example of it. A good pick. Joe, I've just moved one with? around because I've realised we can, can do a, we can do a triple threat of Warner Brothers open world <laughs> games. This isn't just an ode to Warner Brothers, although weirdly, I'm suddenly going maybe it should be. I know. See, I know what this one is, and I know it's going to cause division in the room. Well, Mad Max, the best open world game that everyone said was shit for no reason at all. Matt, uh, what do you have to say? I think it's okay. Oh, I love it so <laughs> much. Um, you, what did you think, Cardi? I don't know if you've played it. I uh, I I played like the first hour and thought it was it was one of those where I played the first hour. I think it was on PS Plus at one point. Uh, I was into it, but then I think something bigger or better just came along and I never went back. Unlikely, it was better, <laughs> but the uh, there are bigger games. Um, the the uh, it's a bad first hour as well. Mad Max is so weird. It's so compromised in so many ways. But there's something. What I love about it is it's like. It's so focused in the things it wants to do well, and unfortunately, I think, tried to be more than that in some ways. But the mm-hmm. things I love about it, I love that, A, it's a Mad Max game that really gives a shit about driving, and to me, the feeling of driving in that game is more like old-school PS1, PS2 demolition derby games than mm-hmm. open-world games. And, like, the fact that I can be... I can chase down a convoy and like smash them to pieces just with my tooled up car rather than doing anything else. I really loved that. And it also, it hit on something earlier than, is this earlier than Breath of the Wild? It must be earlier than Breath of the Wild by a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the, it, it captures the same feeling to me of like, foregoing the idea that you just have to like look at stuff on a map and go to it and just makes interesting things on the horizon because it's in the same way as breath of the wild it's quite an empty world but there are things dotted like giant smokestacks or an oil refinery or like mad little details that look wrong because for whatever reason this version of mad max is set in an xc um <laughs> like a, a giant f- tanker that's like it's quite early on but it's yeah. just half buried in a sand dune is yeah. quite striking and and like i absolutely love that feeling of like making your way across a world by sight rather than cartography even though i love maps in games as well but like something about mad max really works for me um the hand-to-hand combat wasn't good enough and the shooting was very odd and so, like, your kind of, like, traditional open-world interactions don't feel quite right. But the stuff it builds around it just worked so much for me. And fucking hell. Because they built it 
sort of half alongside the film. They took little pieces of it, and the storms mm-hmm. in that game are yeah. incredible. Yeah. Like the sound I was going to say that because I only I rewatched Fury Road again this week actually because I got myself the 4K Blu-ray of Ooh. it. So now I sound I can play them. Oh, that film looks good. Mm. Uh, I forgot just how good that film is. Like I, I only I watched it a couple of times when it first came out, but it's the first time since, mm. and I kind of got a bit cooler on it over time i was like is it as good as i remember or is it just a two-hour car chase but i just watched it recently i was like this is unbelievable how the hell do you film this yeah (laughs) it's insane you boiled up like the engine on the bloody furiosa tanker (laughs) um but yeah like i i I love so much about mad max and this this to me shadow of mordor to me is a nine out of ten i gave it an eight at the time like an idiot um but (laughs) mad max to me is is the epitome of the seven out of ten i love beyond a lot of nines because just does so many things like weird little choices that i love and it, it also represents kind of what i'm worried avalanche are losing a little bit which mm-hmm. is kind of a a dedication to like strangeness and silliness and interaction when they've gone a bit more bombastic and a bit more triple a but i hope they get back there but yeah okay um why would i ruin the run when i can do another wb <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> This is we didn't plan this. This is just how weirdly it's turned out. Turns out WB are good at making a lot of good games people forget about. Um, <laughs> is that a good thing? I don't know. I am going to go with Lego Marvel superheroes. This game's fucking incredible. This is this so is the good. first one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I really yeah. like this. This is the one. good one. Yeah, yeah. This like so we're getting Lego Star Wars in a few months. I think they said. Sp- I think it's spring next year. I, I believe it when I see it. Yeah. Um, but that looks to be taking the next step for Lego games, which I can't wait for. Like Lego Marvel Superheroes is the one that took the next step back then, I think, with the whole... It's the first Lego open world I can remember. There might have been one or two before, was, but this is the one... There was the What was the one where you played as, like... Was it a cop in a... In, oh, in a Undercover. Lego City yeah. Undercover that before? on Wii U. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, it was. But, yeah, I remember playing this and just thinking... This is amazing. Like, just this was before we had Spider Man or before we had Avengers. Like, this was the first time you could really just fly around New York as like as Iron Man or just like. I know it's a Lego game, but I think this. I think this might also have been my first ever platinum. Really, which, you know, a Lego game is great for a platinum if you want to if you want a good time. But I think the best thing about it was that. It did like it had this. I don't know if it still looks great, but at the time it looked so nice and clean and shiny. Just this open world Manhattan, and the story it told was good. Whereas I think we all know the sequel where they just kind of took the plots of the films and made a game just mm. wasn't as good. It wasn't as funny. Whereas it, I just have a real soft spot for Lego games in general, and this one, which I think is just brilliant. I, I think this is still their best. Like the way mm-hmm. the open world is so perfectly suited to it. It builds. I really like the way it builds movement into it. Like you say, like getting around that city is such a big part of it. And also, like there is. I know I'm a fucking broken record on this kind of thing. There's a real crossover between the feeling of a Lego game and the feeling of Dynasty Warriors to me. In the <laughs> constantly getting new characters that do yeah. slightly different things and slightly interesting things, and you could just keep swipe, swapping and swapping and swapping. That's and the cool thing. There's so many. There's like what. Oh, I can't remember. It feels like it's there's hundreds stupid. of characters in that game. It, but it's like, ridiculous. Yeah, just that, like, kind of have that. I always have that sort of like. I like that, like, sort of lucky dip gamble aspect to any game. Where it's like, I could go up there, find something, and I don't know what it is, and like, just get excited. Where I, 
like about finding Squirrel Girl, which I'll never use. It's like but meaning, it's just funny. To- it's meaningful <laughs> rewards as well. It's that feeling of like hmm. I'm not just going and collecting gold bricks. Like a lot of the Lego games are just about get all the gold bricks. In this one, it really felt like it was get characters, get interactive mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and like like you say with Squirrel Girl, like the depth to which those references go, especially at that time when we weren't quite yeah. in like Marvel madness. The first time I got like Red Hulk. And you can turn him into General Ross and then into Red Hulk. Well, like, I distinctly remember finding Rocket Raccoon before Guardians came out and mm. being like, who the hell is this little clown? Yeah. I don't know who he is. Like, why is he in this game? And now, obviously, the Guardians are, like, one of the biggest things in the world. Yeah, I remember going and reading, like, whole Wikipedia pages about characters I'd never fucking heard of because of that game. And, like, there's something really... It, it suits the brand so well. And I know that's a very shitty way of putting something that's really nice, but it like suits Marvel so well to have this thing where it's just like fucking everyone, dozens of people, mm-hmm. go and see them. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, it's, it's still... Do you know what? Is it still the best Marvel game? I don't know. Mars Morales and Spider-Man are very good games, so they're very different games, but it is definitely a better Avengers game than Avengers. <laughs> One, which... And you like Avengers. <laughs> and I, I've played 160 hours of that game now. <laughs> absolutely ill, man. <laughs> One minor thing that I really love about LEGO Got Marvel Superheroes is because all the all the LEGO bricks in it are based on the sets that LEGO have mm-hmm. made for those, it's from a time when they were making sets for lots of different Marvel films that didn't connect because the MCU wasn't quite as big as it is and obviously there was the fox universe and there was the sony universe so the spider-man stuff in that game has elements of the amazing spider-man to- um huh. garfield films yeah i, and I distinctly remember that there's a lock puzzle in it and the lock is exactly the lock that he uses in the film in uh in the oscorp building and so that was great but so the oscorp building is that one from the amazing spider-man films but then you get to go to the X-Mansion, which is based on yeah. the X-Mansion from the 20th Century Fox films. And it was this weird kind of, for the first time that I felt like I've got the whole Marvel universe kind of actually stuck together now. And obviously now Marvel has pretty much got almost all their properties back, right? So mm. they get to do it. But that was the feeling of getting it before I got it. Matt, there's a if feature they... in that. Write that feature. <laughs> <laughs> if they released that on PS5, I would platinum it all over again. Because it's just the perfect podcast game. You don't need to listen to that game, really. You just yeah. fly around the world, collect and stuff. It's got voice acting, right? It. That's not one yeah, where they... Yeah, but you know. Because I really... Is it the Lego Lord of the Rings one who uses actually the Lord of the Rings voice track mm. and it's just got well, weird I think the actual it. Avengers one, the one after this one did that as well, just took like bits from the films mm-hmm. and like pasted them. It just didn't sound right. Uh, but yeah. Lego Marvel superheroes. Joe. No. Yeah, yeah do you know what? let's mix it up. Why not? Let's go Joe next. Okay, that's good. Keep people on their toes. Matt's next one I haven't played and I feel bad about it and I I feel ashamed. <laughs> um what should we go? I'll go for a very different game. Ho Hokum. Um which was it's certainly not the start of PlayStation's like dalliance with indie experimental stuff, but it feels like a real like zenith for it i think you know like you had journey and flower and you had that game company stuff really kind of kicked that off i I feel but like something about how absolutely fucking bonkers ho hokum was and like how much of a throwback to weird japanese ps2 game like we don't really know what game genres are yet so we just make whatever the fuck we want type stuff like it it's got a bit of that kind of like um, patapon or, you know, like those old games where it's just like you turn it on, you don't know what you're going to play or how it's going to be put together. And Ho Hokum 
has that in spades, particularly because it never fucking tells you how to play it. Like, well, it's, I, yeah, I remember I did a similar thing to Mad Max. I, I think that was on PS Plus, and I, I think I played half an hour to an hour, and I definitely had that feeling of. I've never read anything about this game, never seen anything. I was just like, what is this and what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, what do you, you want me to do? You fly a sperm around and just hope that it makes things happen in a world. Um, <gasps> and I loved it. I loved it so much. Like, I came to it very late. Um, and I just remember kind of realising what this was going to be. I'd heard enough people kind of go, this is really special. But never really looked into it enough to pay attention. And kind of, it's pure... It's like actual pure exploration because you're not told how you get around or what anything does and everything is... It's like a puzzle at its most basic level which is just, what does this do? Um, And I really love how odd it is with that. Like, it tells kind of tiny stories that don't actually have a narrative and like or like a spoken narrative. So there's, there's just something really interesting about it. And like, I don't think we're seeing this yet on the likes of PS5 and I really hope we don't lose this kind of thing because it's just so it feels so valuable to have those moments where you just get something completely out of the blue that even it doesn't make sense I think it's really cool there we go a, a short but sweet one mm. there we go what are they doing next is it Honey Slug they're the guys Honey who Slug. That, well they, they the two guys who made that m- made I Am Dead um, uh, but that, they did it with it. other people um, I knew so I don't think they're the same same name, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what they did next. So God knows what they do after that because they've made two extremely weird games. Hmm. Matt, yeah, please so, tell us. So this was a, uh, a a tough one to choose from Super Giant's kind of middle era, and mm-hmm. it, so I had to choose between Transistor and Pyre, and I've settled on Pyre. And I mean that's partially because Transistor is incredible, but was this kind of it was clearly them building on what they developed with Bastion. It's a it's a mm-hmm. isometric top down kind of actioner, but there were so many more layers to Transistor and a much more kind of heartfelt narrative to it. Um, Pyre is when you realise that Supergiant were going to be a, a studio that actually they just got hundreds of ideas and now every game that they do after is just going to be completely different from the last, just mm-hmm. with a set of core values that they stick with. So Pyre, rather than being like this isometric, top-down kind of actioner, is basically half visual novel, half kind of magical sports tournament. It's a, yeah, it's it's a sports game more than anything, which is what surprised and delighted me, because I Bastion and Transistor are games I appreciate more than I enjoyed. I, I They're not my typical sort of... I don't enjoy that sort of game, which is why it surprised me even more that I love Hades as much as I do, because it's that sort of game but a roguelike um but yeah i love pyre so much i never it's one of my like guilts that i never finished that game because i was absolutely loving it and for some reason i fell off but yeah like you said it's a really cool story of characters but it's a sports game so of mm-hmm. course i'm into it and the thing is like the way they set up the stakes because obviously in the, there's always stakes in sport right like because you always want your mm-hmm. team to succeed and you want your team to li- win the league but the thing is is the story of pyre is that all your characters that you're gradually like building up this party that's traveling through this world, you're in the underworld basically, and you've all fallen and been exiled from like the you know for lack of a better term the real normal world, and everybody mm-hmm. wants to get back. But it's you. You are like 
you aren't represented in the game. These characters are people that are working with you and you are the person that's helping them win these tournaments and the winners will be able to go back. But the thing is, is when you win, it's not done by winning the tournament. It's like the winner of the match gets to send someone back to the to the world. And so it's like, you've got to give up one of your players. And so like it, in your head, it's like, well, the star player should go because they've proven themselves as the person who deserves. But why would you get rid of your star player? Because I'm going to need them for, for matches and matches after this. And the longer you keep them, the harder it becomes to let them go. But you become that emotionally attached to them that you know you have to let them go. And it's a game that made me very, very emotional. And that's helped by the fact that Darren Corb is, I think, one of the most gifted musicians working in games. And I listen to his soundtrack probably on a weekly basis. It is a, a, a thing I work to. But him and sort of like the, the lyrics that he has to those and the fact that every single match against different groups have their own signature tunes and the way that the the music kind of dynamically adjusts with that like it creates such a cohesive artistic whole that part of that mixture is your emotion as well like it's it's such a technical achievement for what is essentially a game that is most of the time a 2d picture book Mm. it's so good this is the perfect example of this list because it is a game that i knew i wanted to play and i knew was perfect for me but for whatever reason i think when it came out it's like i can't afford 21 pounds for this <laughs> um and so just never did it and then it disappeared in my brain and other things come along and i've never played it but like sports game rpg sounds exactly like my thing yeah um mm-hmm. and i'm definitely going to buy it because do it got is it to... on switch yet it feels like it should be no it's, it's only not. pc mac and ps4 oh well, there we go uh, yeah, I'd recommend everyone play the game, and you've made me. I thought I'd have to start it again at this point. Just I think so. Yeah, I just to, you'd need to reforge those emotional bonds for the end to to be as impactful as it is. Yeah, and ever since Hades, I just have a newfound love for Supergiant. I think maybe I need to revisit Bastion. Uh, it's good. Yeah. And Bastion I've... will take you four hours to do. It's yeah. it's actually really short. Mm-hmm. I've never properly done Bastion. Like Transistor, I got a fair way through, but never finished. Pyre, I didn't do, and then like yeah. Hades, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hades far too obvious. Uh, right, it's back to me. Go on. I'm going with with Watch Dogs 2, mm. which I surprised me. I think it probably surprised a lot of people because I think Watch Dogs 1 is fine. Like, I'd like it's, it's a 6 or a 7. It's fine, I think. It just lacks any real joy uh, <laughs> which is a problem for a game um whereas Watch Dogs 2 was so colorful like i think i played it like a few weeks or a month or two after i went to san francisco for the first time so i, I did like, the same cardi i'd been in oh, san francisco well, a month go. before it came out there we go so i was like i kind of half knew where i was going uh and it was just it's just nice it's a nice place to be isn't it i mean it's colorful it's like some of the characters were a bit over the top, but I like them. I think Marcus is great. And I was one of these people because, let's face it, Watch Dogs, I think, ultimately disappointed. Mm. And I was one of these people in the run that was like, I'm into this player's anyone. There was a lot of people saying, oh, I'm worried I won't care about the story because I don't have a protagonist. I was, I was like, do you know what? I reckon I could get invested in this story without a protagonist. 
I think ultimately it's a mistake because I care about Marcus and that story a lot more than I ever cared about Legion's story and I think a protagonist might be needed so, in future Watch Dogs games. I was having a conversation with with another friend. So I've I've got my friend Jeremy, who you can read at various other publications, um, is also a massive Watch Dogs fan, and we were discussing the shortcomings of, of Legion's story. And it's because mm. when you compare it to Watch Dogs Two, Watch Dogs Two is fundamentally brilliant because it talks about issues that we all fear at the moment. They're all so concrete, like. Google's terrifying and Facebook are terrifying and like we, we we see these fears every day. And it's about people that are actually affected by that trying to make some real genuine change. I think Legion just looks a bit too far into the future to the point where it becomes pantomime to try and make mm. those things. So it's kind of like I actually think the stuff about London being taken over by fascists genuinely quite scary. And I think in its smaller moments there's fear there. But yeah. A gang that are harvesting organs and a woman trying to put a consciousness in the cloud, all of this, they don't make sense. You look at Watch Dogs 2, it all works because I can be there, I understand this world and I understand the stakes of it. Yeah, I think like it doesn't help that you know we live in London, so you kind of you're kind of more aware of those things as real life stuff. They don't feel the pantomime elements feel even more mad when it's like. Nigel Cass now lives in the Tower of London. And you're like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, this is so stupid. Um, you know, like that kind of thing. And and I agree. Like Watch Dogs Two, I I did. This is not just a plug for my work, but it was really good. I did an interview with the man that played Marcus, um, ostensibly just to talk to him about uh, whether he'd been asked back for Legion. He hasn't. Um, but he talked about this in a different way as well, which is like, uh. There's issues related to, like, black representation in this game that I've never seen in another game. Never mind... Well, never, sorry, never seen another AAA game, I should say. Um, hmm. And, like, the scene where they go to the fake Google and they're code switching and, like, speaking like white people in inverted commas and stuff like that, like, those are all... Those are our real things that I've never had to confront. And I mm-hmm. like having that presented to me by a protagonist. And there's something really valuable about it. And it, it just goes more towards making it feel like this is a real man in a real situation. Albeit with a, you know, a friend with a special mask that demonstrates his emotions in gas mask form. <laughs> um, all that kind of shit. But yeah, I think there's a lot to love about Watch Dogs too. I just think... I think Watch Dogs as a whole has never fully crossed over in its mechanics to to catching people in the way they want to be caught by it. But I think mm-hmm. Watch Dogs 2 was the closest it came. It's a very good game. I hope they get back to that at some point. Uh, Matt? Yep. Let's Go on. talk about spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, a, again, one which I had to make a decision about which game was going to get in. But basically, it's, it was either Alien Isolation or Prey. And I've chosen Alien Isolation because I think it's the more successful. But the things I want to talk about, they both do quite well. And it's to mm. do with sense of place. Now, Alien Isolation is a survival horror game. But it's actually sort of what I would consider a horror immersive sim. Because mm. it's set on on a very distinct the layout of the Sylvester Pole is designed to make you feel like it actually is a spaceship. It's not a set of video game levels. It is a believable place. And that comes from the fact that it was it was designed like a film set rather than a a, a video game because they wanted to capture that feeling of Ridley Scott's um, like location design. And when you when you move around that area and you remember 
different areas and because there's quite a lot of kind of there is a lot of linear movement in that game but you do quite frequently come back on yourself especially because the only way you can escape from an alien is just run away from it there is nothing else to do so you learn those environments so intimately which is something that prey does as well which is why i i love these games for very similar reasons but i think the edge comes from the fact that isolation is able to use all of that to amplify fear because that world is both very very unfamiliar when you first get to it which is terrifying like you've never been on this spaceship before both as a character and as a player and so you've got to try and learn about it and learn all what it has to offer while knowing that you could be torn in two by a giant walking slimy penis monster um but when you learn it and you learn those areas it then becomes almost like a home invasion because like you know this place and you understand the layout and you know everything that that you can do in it but there's something stuck in there with you and you don't know where it is and you don't know when it can turn up and it kind of generates two interesting layers of fear to it i think for me it's genuinely one of the best like adjacent immersive sims ever made but i i think it's the best horror of this generation by like actually a decent milestone i'd like i think the the best thing i can say about alien isolation is that uh it was fundamentally too stressful for me to ever finish <laughs> like i think it's i think it's absolutely incredible and I, again like kind of um arkham Knighty, i think of what it's trying to do there's very little i think that actually gets the atmosphere better there are games that look nicer mm-hmm. but i think there's very little that kind of communicates a place to me like that um did you get and- the flamethrower joe yes but so I, yeah i think the flamethrower is a really interesting part of that game because what it does is it suddenly it doesn't make you invulnerable at all it's just a minor safety blanket because the alien is terrified of fire mm. and it's kind of like you don't have a lot of fuel for that thing but one burst is enough to like get you into the next corridor and if you're in the next corridor you've got like a second which can help you plan i think mm. that is it reminds me a lot of you know how in XCOM, one of my favourite things about XCOM is that when you get to about the two-thirds mark in the campaign, you start getting alien technology, and then you can fucking kick the table over, and suddenly you've got everything they've got, and they're not scary anymore. That's the moment for Alien Isolation, is when you get the flamethrower. It's like, okay, I don't necessarily have to be terrified anymore, mm. but I do have to be cautious. Because A, the only way that I can get rid of this horrendous, slimy penis monster is by setting fire to the air in front of me, which is very, very dangerous. So there's still a lot of danger to it, but it's just, as I say, a second is all you need. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, frankly, it didn't help because all I was going was like, I'm going to run out soon, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, stopped. Um, but fuck me, what, it's an amazing game. Um, you know, mm. I'm sure someone will mention the score on IGN. We weren't here. Uh, <laughs> I have nothing to do with that. And you know what? probably is too long if you're going to critique it it, it, it is, is too it's long. very long for the kind of game it is but well obviously i haven't got to the end of it but <laughs> it's too long for you uh, well, I, it, it's not it's not even that it was too long for me i think yeah. but i think i'm always happy for uh someone doing something really interesting to like go full out for it you know i'd rather mm-hmm. it was too long than too short i think mm-hmm. um do I mean Agreed. that? Yes, I think I do. I do. Yeah. I'd rather have more than something than not enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, 18 hours, isn't it? It's, well, that's what it took me, obviously. I guess it depends on how terrified you are. It depends on what, what you get. Um, but yeah, it's kind of... 
I guess there's a lot of it, as you say, but there's a, there's quite a lot of dead space as well, and I feel I feel that's paced well as well. Mm. There we go, Joe. What's up next? Towerfall Ascension, the yes. best sport in the world. <laughs> wow, um, what I, a claim! I, this actually is on our best of the generation list on IGN, but that's only because I I went to to the people organising and went, I have to have this on this list. This better <laughs> be on this list. And they went, if you write the blurb, it can be on the list. Um, Towerfall Ascension, I played every single working day for a year and a half. And I never got bored of it. And it is a single screen game about shooting a bow and arrow. It's like, to me, it um, it communicates the best things about real life sport. The stuff I really love about real life sport, which is like, there are two versions of being amazing at it, which is incredible skill or incredible luck. And both of them are brilliant. Like, you can be really good at this game or you can fuck up completely and you'll accidentally hit a lamp and that lamp falls and breaks into flames and kills someone. And you're like, I didn't mean to do that. And then you take it and it, turn it into a gif. And it's like, it's just the fucking best. We got so obsessed with it at my old work that we, uh, one of the smart tech men who played every day, turned the thing you can save the games on the pc you can save it in save the final replay as a gif and he made it so that that gif every day we would have one and it would auto upload to a tumblr blog of all the finishes that we loved in the game and so we had this like record of all these incredible finishing moments and that to me is like that sport that's going and watching goal montages that's going and like enjoying the most amazing moments of something that you love watching or love playing and like that's what it gets across to me if you have if you haven't played towerfall play it with four people and i swear to god you'll be there for four hours without knowing it it's just that's the best the, thing that's the thing i always looked at it and i'm like i would love this game but it was caught in that time between me not being at uni where i had time and a place i could play a local four-player game mm. with people and not working at igm where we can do that regularly like I just didn't have people to play it with, basically. Which so is very sad. That links actually to... So I reviewed Towerfall for, for PC Games N, and this was a time when I was freelance, and I was living at home with my parents, and, mm. you know, had no local friends because everybody had flown the nest. So mm. my introduction to Towerfall was playing its campaign, which is like a very different sort of yeah. side of that game. And then basically when my sister and my brother-in-law came round... I did a few matches of multiplayer with them to make sure that I'd done that side. So my review, I think I gave it an eight. And it's a like, I got this thing of like, the multiplayer seems really, really good. <laughs> and so didn't really, like, it's definitely like a nine or a 10, basically, but didn't get mm. to see that side until I moved into PCGN's offices and was playing it with, with Jeremy and Jules, in which case I then realized like, oh, wow, like, this is Super Smash Bro tier, like, good multiplayer mode can we when we do eventually ever work in an office again together can we can we have a game because i never fully got to experience yeah. it yeah well this is it like cardi this is <laughs> it's exactly the same feeling we have with when we play windjammers like well, see, it's i was same... going to put windjammers on this list but then i realized it's like 25 years old so that's how we do that. but it's <laughs> it's that same feeling and it, again it's because they simulate something of the simplicity of sport while still being like complicated enough to mess about with and like learn and yeah i just like to me there's very few things on this list where i'd be like that to me is a solid 10 mm -hmm. towerfall is a 10 to me like i i see 
you could take away the entire single player campaign and co-op campaign and it would still be a 10 for me like the the base of that game is just so perfect it's it's incredible mm-hmm. yeah it's very good uh next up so i i question where to put this one because this is one that will appear on lists i think but i love it so much i'm going to talk about it a little bit which is inside because inside probably i don't know is it i, I don't know i was going to say is it the best indie game of, of the generation i don't know how, how you even say that anymore but I I can't tell you how much I love this game. I know Joe, you're a massive fan as well. Yeah. Matt, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about Inside. No, I don't think we ever have talked about. It. I do I do <laughs> like it. Yeah, um, I'm probably not I, as much as the general consensus, but I do think it's good. Cool. I so I I kind of had that feeling with Limbo. I think like I I liked Limbo, but I didn't quite get the ten out of tens for that. Gravity um, puzzles can get to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Inside, the sort of puzzles I love, and just the overall tone and. I'm not going to spoil it because there will be some people out there that still haven't played Inside, although at this point it's probably hard to have seen what is at the end of it. But um, one of the best endings to a game ever. <laughs> certainly, so certainly one of the most. So Actually, we have another one on this list that me and Matt have already discussed today in a separate <laughs> me- separate thing about being one of the best endings. But like the way the way that game ends is just hmm. so... I still don't really know what it's about. I've no that's, idea. But Not that's what I but that's what I love about it because because it comes it's not out of left field like it feels in keeping with the rest of the game. But the effect of it is so ludicrous like it's such a different game when it happens. It, it sort of makes you feel a bit sick. Oh yeah, like it's, it's disgusting. It's, like it, it's got such a weird like ladle full of emotions that come with that moment. Especially because as you say, Cardi, it's quite dark, and the fact that, like, I think it's more obvious that you're playing as a boy this time around. Like, Limbo mm. is so kind of, like, cartoonish in in the way that, like, that black and white thing, that he almost becomes kind of abstract, whereas I feel a bit more connected to Inside's protagonist. Like, he's clearly just a little kid trying to get out of an awful, awful world. And then the way that it ladles all that on at the end, it's kind of like, it's such a weird... It's not an emotional gut punch, but it's like being confused as to what you're supposed to feel is not something that happens in games very often because yeah. they're so clear cut. Mm-hmm. And to just not know, it's like it's sort of Lynchian in that way. It's, it's, yeah. It also has, again, I mean, this is an even older game that if you haven't finished it, then I mean, shame on you. But like, it has the same effect on me as, um, <laughs> albeit very different emotions, as like the end of Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, mm-hmm. where. Mm-hmm. That game fundamentally changes what it is for its final stretch for very good narrative reasons. Yeah. Um, and obviously the narrative reasons are less clear in, inside, but I have the same feeling where it's just like it leaves you on such a different note to all the hours you've played with it that it can't help get stuck in your head. Like, And I've, you know, I'm still thinking, I'm still pondering on it occasionally. Like, Yeah. What, it's one of those, like, occasionally, like maybe once a year or though, do just because it has chapter select in the game just go back and play the end of that game just to <laughs> see it again and just be like what's Sick going freak. on <laughs> yeah yeah it's like what and i think i i've got my own i'm sure everyone has their own opinion on what is actually happening but mm. uh ultimately i feel like you're you're doing the right thing is all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that is inside matt yeah it's titanfall 2 isn't it 
Oh, there we go. One that we have talked about enough, uh, and I know listeners of this podcast definitely have spoken about enough. Um, but one that probably might not actually appear on many. Like it'll appear in some lists, I'm sure. Like it'll appear in those in the top ten, one hundred best games of the generation yeah. lists and stuff like that. But I can't see it being at the top of anyone's sort of top tens, especially like it is critically revered. But you have to remember, it came out at a really weird time because the week before it was battlefield, battlefield one. one then it was it and then the week after was call of duty infinite warfare and then obviously infinite warfare has quite a dissimilar style to mm. titanfall like i actually really really like infinite warfare and part of it is because it's got that battlestar galactica style really heavy industrial look to it mm-hmm. which is what titanfall uh, you know well, is all about i had no interest so as people like i played it for the first time this last year yeah last year now um yeah, and I absolutely loved it. But when it first came out, I had absolutely zero interest in it. Like, I didn't play Titanfall. I never had an Xbox to play it on, and it didn't have a story, so I wasn't I wasn't really big into multiplayer at that point. Um, but yeah, playing it for the first time last year, I can see why it's loved by so many people. Mm. Well, and I think the interesting thing with Titanfall Two is that, um, like. <sighs> It's so revered now for the single player for good reason. Like, I think that year with that and Dishonored in the same year was just, like, absolute, you know, cake and eat it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so easy to forget that the multiplayer in that game was absolutely brilliant as well. Like, Mm -hmm. really, really fucking good. And Titanfall 1 I played a lot. I didn't... I'm not a huge multiplayer shooter guy generally, like, with the obvious exceptions of Overwatch and stuff like that. But, like... I played a lot of Titanfall 1 at the time and then Titanfall 2 came out and I was like this is just better. Like yeah. and the fact that it's better than Titanfall 1 is frankly ludicrous. Like mm, it's I, so good. One of the triumphs of the multiplayer is that it kind of came out of the year of hero shooters, right? It was like almost 12 months after Rainbow Six had kind of established the operators and then it's kind of 6 months after Overwatch had sort of come along and blown that up. And whereas Titanfall 1 was just kind of a very traditional sort of shooter setup where it's like, you choose your gun and you've got this big mech and you can choose what gun that's got. This was like, actually mechs come in different designs and you're going to choose which design of mech you want to mm. use. And each one of them is a completely different job. In you know, And it's not the... It's not like Rainbow Six where you're syncing up, but there is an element of like, it's really good to have a tone that's kind of like this good mid-class, but if you've got a Ronin that can kind of flank around and use a giant a giant sword that spits electricity <laughs> out of it and I'm also tr- wields a shotgun the size well, of we're, a hatchback. That's getting very excited. <laughs> I think the first time I wrote about Titanfall 2, it was almost entirely about the swords. Wait, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> it's like... Um, but Yeah, it's, it's good yeah. stuff. And... It definitely teases a third game at the end of it. Oh, I yeah. I don't know if that's... Is, my, it's, oh, are we getting that? It's difficult, right? Because no fucker bought it. And, like, <laughs> it was really because I played the multiplayer for a long time. Um, and they did support it. And they put in a very good kind of co-op, sort of mm-hmm. almost like Halo's firefight mode into it. And that is yeah. genuinely excellent. But the thing is, you found is, as the player count dwindled, they locked into everybody played attrition and so I've played quite a lot of attrition, despite the fact Hardpoint is my favourite, but you can just never get a game of Hardpoint. Um, but you do realise, like, that game is at such a pace that no other game operates at. 
and includes tools that so few competitive first-person shooters have that when you see people that can use the grapple hook to swing themselves around a skyscraper, come off with the sniper rifle and get a headshot as they're on the descent, I I can't think of many games that have like that potential skill level. And I'll never get there. And obviously I can't say that like that is an experience I love. Mm. But watching sort of gifs of that 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 start to trickle onto onto social that that is something that i hope we can revisit at some point in the future when they this is what it was when they first dropped a teaser for titanfall 2 i used the word mech swords in the headline twice in the strap line <laughs> at least once in every single paragraph and then my sign off was joe scrabbles is ign's mech sword uk news editor and mech sword mech sword mech sword mech sword follow him on mech sword <laughs> into mech swords um, i liked so, it matt how much does it potentially anger you and uh, you just took a drink of water so i want to let you swallow it before i say this that we will actually get uh, a sequel to fallen order before um time fall three <laughs> i mean like i can even say like i wasn't the biggest hater of fallen order i just think it's a bit meh and it's mm-hmm. just not it's just not I consider Respawn genuinely one of the best developers out there, even though like their batting average is coming down quite significantly. <laughs> but uh, and part of it is the fact that obviously Apex is kind of, and I love Apex. I think yeah, for as much as probably now I've played more Warzone, I still think Apex is my favorite of the battle royales. Like I think it's just it, it like oozes personality and has all of the things that I love about Titanfall. But that and Fallen Order have obviously just taken the... Pe- like People know Respawn for those now and people... Because they didn't play mm-hmm. Titanfall. And now I'm just like, I hope that Apex does the thing that will bring Titans into Apex in some sort of way to reignite people's love of that and to bring new people into the idea that when they do do Titanfall 3, even if it's like Apex Titanfall or, or yeah. something like that to, to you know re-kick the brand... I do hope that's somewhere in the future because there's nothing like driving a mech. It's the best <laughs> thing. Games let me get to I'll never do it in real life. Games More let mech, me do it. Less meh. That's yeah, what we want. Exactly. Yeah. Um, who knows? Fallen Order 2 could do a Titanfall 2 and be utterly brilliant. Maybe. There's, there is that potential. Uh, we'll see. Um, next up. Hello. Joe. What remains of Edith Finch? Yes. Possibly the best told start to end story. Yeah. Yeah. In games <laughs> like, so when i said inside maybe the best indie game of uh, the generation <laughs> what i actually meant was what remains of Edith Finch. <laughs> not technically an indie game so it's fine uh, that's very it true. is okay. published um it is public they're all fucking it is, published it is published it has a recognized publisher uh what a game oh my god what if you don't know what what remains of edith finch is i'm just gonna talk about it it is the story of a family with that where every single person in that family ends with tragedy and you are being told their stories while walking around their abandoned family house and it somehow manages to be like fucking sad and yeah. really funny you, there's a scene where you play as a baby that drowns <laughs> and it's, it's somehow weirdly uplifting <laughs> like that is one of it's it is magical though but horrifically sad just yeah. like the one that always sticks out to me is the um, one in the fish cannery, yeah. which I think oh. sticks out for a lot of people. Like, I think about it's unbelievable. I think about the swing one. Like, yeah. it's so weird. Um, <laughs> just go like, just 
going up and down on a swing until you fucking die. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's just like it's just absolutely beautiful, and like no one does this. You know, it, so many people at the time compared it to Firewatch, and I think the idea that it's like Firewatch is... I, I love Firewatch, but it, it's just not the same thing. It's a game about... It, like, you know, it's presented like a walking simulator, but it, it's a game about <laughs> games. Like, you play different games all the way through it. That's the point. It's messing with mechanics. It's messing with ideas. It's throwing stuff at you, and all in service of the narrative, in the same way as Brothers and, like, what uh, Joseph Harris was trying to do and somewhat failing with a way out. And actually, his new game, It Takes Two, looks like he's doing it again, which is making the game do stuff in service of a story rather than a story told over the top of a bunch of set mechanics. And I, I just love it so much. It's I just a really, really wonderful thing. The thing, the one that really stands out, and uh, Cardi, it's obviously we share the same here, is the story that's set in the cannery. And obviously, a big part of that is about someone basically suffering massively from depression and having to like work in this monotonous job and the way if, if nobody's played this the way that this is presented is is the screen sort of splits in two whereas in the i mean it's the right half you've got the cannery and it's done from a first person perspective mm-hmm. you're working basically cutting the heads off fish and sticking them into cans and then on the left hand side it's he's obviously just daydreaming while he's there and with this beautiful fantasy and the thing is is with I've played it on PC, so I imagine it's slightly different on on console. The controls, but on PC with your right hand with the mouse is what you're you're doing the cutting of the it's heads. Very similar, yeah. And in the left, you're controlling this dreamscape. But the way it puts you into like this trance where you're just doing all the stuff on the right hand side of the screen, this boring stuff, as if it just becomes muscle memory. And I've worked jobs where they are just a bit shit, and you're just doing them on autopilot. And the way that it manages to do this in a vignette story section that's about 10 minutes and within the first two minutes it's kind of trained you into this monotony mm-hmm. and then lets you completely focus on the other stuff and i think that is as you say that's mechanics in service of creating a feeling of narrative that's unlike what so many games do it's um, and it has like especially that one and quite a few of them it, a lot of them have the moment of you you're kind of half enjoying what you're doing and then you get to the point where you're like I don't want to press the button again because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but you have to do it to continue. I yeah, that game is. I know we said this game, this podcast is full of seven and eights. That is one of the easiest. If I had to review that game, it's one of the easiest ten out of tens I could absolutely. Ever do, I like, it's unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, oh, get an emotional thing about Edith Finch. <laughs> what's their next game? Where are where what are they doing? Because I also love the unfinished one. I don't think it's quite as good, but I think it's brilliant. I love that there's a like a tangible connection between those two games as well yeah. like such a cool little little thing so good Love uh, stuff. yes uh, i'm gonna go on the other end of the scale here uh <laughs> both south park rpgs um, what do you mean the other end of the scale they're beautiful and haunting <laughs> <laughs> they have quite the same effect to me these games surprised me because a i've never really watched south park i've watched the odd episode before um and b they're generally quite good RPGs. They're not the hardest RPGs in the world, but each one had slightly different mechanics. I can't remember, like, it's been so long since I played it now, I can't remember which one I enjoyed more, but I enjoyed both of them quite a bit. And yeah, they're just, they're obviously very crude, and if you're not into that humour, it probably won't do a lot for you. But um, I don't know, I just, there were just, I think it's rare that you get a, like, 20 hour 
turn-based RPG, and I enjoyed that, <laughs> that I could do a turn-based RPG the f- in a week. The first one's definitely made by Obsidian. Is the second one made by them as well? Uh, that's I a good question. Both I think were. it is. South but it's Park. like, Obsidian are obviously got the second one out quite very quickly. Good. Yeah. Obsidian are very good at RPG. They generally make bugged-to-fuck RPGs, but they are good at writing. It yeah. isn't. It's uh, It's Ubisoft... San Francisco. Mm. Oh, there we go. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, just a quick one on the South Park games because yeah, they both surprised me at how good they are, and I'd happily play another one. Uh, I don't know how well they actually sold, but it's enough to make a second. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, and also the pack opening in that game. Is oh like yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. Like we talk about like loot box and pack openings in games. Like the siege ones are very good with the rip, but yeah, the rip of the cards in um. The second one, what's the second one called? Um, fractured but whole. Yes, the fractured but whole. Um, have you ever? Have it's, you ever, it's childish, but it is funny. Have you ever watched um, uh, any of Nick Kroll and John Mulaney's Oh Hello stuff? I haven't. No. They they do this thing where they play these two characters who are like New York guys who kind of are half involved in a theatre scene, and so they purposely mispronounce stuff. They always do like. Uh, I need to go and get a hot dog, and I'm going to listen to a podcast. And it just sounds like them to me whenever you say fractured butthole. It's really funny. Uh, anyway, that's that's my yeah, observation. I, I enjoyed those games. Uh, Matt? Mm-hmm. Your, your last one. Uh, but yeah. Please, please tell us. Dragon Age Inquisition. The Ooh, last similar of BioWare's RPG. good stuff. Um, the, the, I've, got, I've got a real soft spot for dragon age inquisition i know like this seems to be one where every second person you speak to has a wildly different opinion of what this game is so i never really know what the genuine like the general consensus is but this is going to be a controversial statement but i actually like it more than the witcher oh that's a spicy little i I can't I, so I've never played a Dragon Age game, so I can't comment either way. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I do think The Witcher is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and like yeah. I think The Witcher is is probably the more accomplished RPG. Not probably, like just is the more accomplished RPG. <laughs> the thing I think I've always been drawn more to a slightly more classic um, fantasy like design, and The Witcher is obviously much more from the camp of. Well, I mean, it literally is from the camp of the authors that were writing dark fantasy in the 90s, right? Like, it is Game of Thrones, but it was written in Poland. Like, it's got it's got so much of that. That's that's why fucking Tyrion Lannister's in it, right? Sorry, not Tyrion, uh, Tywin Lannister. Mm. Um, and I do, like, a lot of that I like. And to be quite honest, quite a lot of what Dragon Age Inquisition does, The Witcher is also doing as well, which is that splitting the world into countries and each of those countries has got a really distinct design and and sort of ethos to the way they work and that brings with it different challenges and different characters but i think because basically straight up the dragon age series started because bioware decided they didn't want to do dungeons and dragons anymore because it was a limiting element so instead of making another bald's gate they made dragon age origins and so it was built out of there so it is basically a very at least for the time high fidelity D game um but there are some elements to it that like the characters i think are all incredibly memorable and have probably some of the bravest storytelling that bioware has done like even beyond mass effect like and i think mass effect is very very good at the some of the stuff it does with its characters but 
it's almost felt like that by Inquisition, Bioware just didn't give a shit anymore whether they did anything that like their fans would want for like their one true pairings and stuff like that so they were just like yeah we're gonna do these majorly kind of controversial decisions that we'll do and it felt bold and and brave like more than what they what you get out of mass effects and joe do we say what we're dancing around has it been long enough now i think do you care about the ending of inquisition Uh, do you know what i do because i know these games are linked and i will probably play the one they're making at the moment mm-hmm. and i'll want to go back so if there well, is a way to dance around i mean it, they literally show you the result of this twist in the teaser they put out yesterday oh well i haven't watched it so i won't watch uh, i <laughs> i don't i don't personally care if you want to do it do it okay. what we can we can sort of dance around but what i'll say so like bio bioware's best games always have like um or they have a legacy of doing really really good like pull the rug from under you mm-hmm. if we're going back 20 years in Baldur's gate it was revealed that you were the son of the literal god of murder and like <laughs> that was what the fuck like you've spent the entire game thinking that that was what you were trying to take down and it turns out that you're part of the problem in mm-hmm. Knights of the Old Republic, which I think is probably the most famous twist they've ever done, is halfway through it, you realise that you're actually the Sith Lord that you were hunting down. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragon Age Inquisition does a similar thing where it's kind of like, among you, you've been making these massive decisions that are changing, that potentially changing the world. I, like, I think you have more agency in where the world could go in, in Inquisition than you do in the previous two games. And it just turns out like you're undermined at every moment yeah. because you're... the something within your ranks that's working against you and yeah. mm-hmm. that revelation is genuinely incredible and like it's it's i think it's one of the best triple a twists certainly of the last generation like the way the way it does this to you and particularly in a game about choice the whole game is about choice and that there is nothing you can do about this evil is like it's just such a good way of making you get how bad that ending or what? How bad? It's not even the ending. It's how bad that situation is. Oh, it's just—it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And like, how, how long does Inquisition? If you want to mainline Inquisition, oh, it's how big. Long well, it long? if you mainline it, it's not. It's about thirty-five hours. But <laughs> that's quite big. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you think about how big RPGs can be, yeah, the thing I really yeah. like about um, Inquisition is there's kind of—it's a bit. It's from that era that The Witcher was sort of like there as the vanguard of, in that kind of like one of my favorite things about it is you can just be walking along and suddenly a fucking dragon comes up and mm. they do it in such a cinematic way. And that Frostbite engine, especially at the time, looked so good. Yeah. And quite often it's lit in daytime lighting, so you get the full effect of a giant golden dragon just landing on a cliff face and roaring. But you know that it's there you don't have to go and fight it but the idea of like one day i'm going to be powerful enough that i can come yeah. and cut the head off a dragon whereas for Geralt, i think the the monsters are very impressive but Geralt is built as a dra- as like a monster hunter and so the idea is is that these are his everyday things that he just mm. has to deal with as in inquisition the dragons are like they're not the everyday problem that a farmer's got to deal with the fact that another fucking dragon's come along. Like, they are rare and they are powerful. And so they are, I guess, the equivalent of, you know, how the Valkyries like a big element to God of War. Yeah. Like, the dragons are that. And so being able to kind of like build up to those 
again, kind of like water cooler moments, as well as having this incredibly bespoke narrative. Like there's so much going on there in a way that like I am excited to see where Mass Effect goes and I hope that it pulls from all of that. But for me at the moment, despite the fact I probably like Mass Effect as a whole more, I'm more interested to see where Dragon Age goes next because Dragon Age leaves such a narrative cliffhanger that has to be resolved. Like, it's just going to go. Whereas I'm a bit worried about Mass Effect's hinting that we're returning to Shepard. I think, for me, that story took an emotional toll on me. Like, I was in bits at the end of Mass Effect 3. I don't need to go back to that. Like, I'm happy to go back to that era, but I don't want those. And especially if, like, it looks like Morden's back in it. He's dead in my world. Like, I don't don't need that. Um, well, I'm looking but, forward to playing yeah. those games in that collection. Yeah. Can I also just down. point out, Dragon Age is also like, it has a whole management game aspect yeah. to it that yeah. everyone forgets. I'd forgotten until I started looking it up recently. Yeah, because you have a giant castle that's for you. The like As the Inquisitor, you get given a giant castle with a war table. And you yeah. get to do all this stuff on it. You get you know, you can fall in love with your, your like receptionist if you really want to. <laughs> it's like Yakuza. Yeah. It's basically fantasy yakuza. There's too much in it. I love it. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Joe, what you got next? Uh, this is kind of a request from Dale, but I do agree with it, so I put it on my list. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the game. It's probably the least technically accomplished game on this entire list. No, yeah. it definitely is. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. It's fucked. Yes, it, it, was, it was fucked when it came out, and it was yeah. fucked when it died, which <laughs> happened... As soon as you would expect it to. Uh, it is a stupid multiplayer game that I think I've laughed more at than almost any multiplayer game in the last ten years. Like, it's so good. It's the funniest multiplayer game I've played since. Did you ever play Hidden in Plain Sight? That old Xbox Live indie game? I didn't Oh my know. god, it's incredible. Either, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. We're not going to talk about that. It's two generations ago. Um, <laughs> the But, like, Friday the 13th is just... It's built for these moments. You know, it, it builds itself as a survival horror multiplayer game, which is actually a great idea. But what they, I don't think they accounted for is, A, they couldn't make a game properly, so it's fucked and all the faces are wrong and everyone makes strange noises and jerks around like freaky little ragdolls. And B, when you're playing with other people, it doesn't matter how scary Jason yeah. is. It's just funny to run away like, and be like, no, <laughs> don't get me! There is like, no... There is no round of that game I've ever played, I think, where I haven't ended up in almost tears by the yeah. end of it. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. And, like, at the base of it, I think there is good game design at the heart of it. It's just the building of the game, of the mm-hmm. stuff around that design. It's that just that, yeah, put sadly, together. they're not very technically accomplished. But it's kind of the roomy to me. It has that feeling of, like, yeah. it, it just transcends all that stuff, and I just enjoy my time in it. And, like,. Um, We've yeah. had some moments in that game where you, especially when the way you can fuck over other people playing it, like accidentally running people over in cars, or like there was one time where I, I start, I find, I, for the first time ever, I got all the stuff to start the boat and get away in the boat. And I always play as this horrible preppy dickhead called Chad. So I started calling it the SS Chad, and I was on the radio to everyone else in the game, being like, come to the SS Chad, I can take one of you. And Sam, who we used to work with, now works at Double Jump, just walked up, shot me in the, sh- in the face with a shotgun and took the boat by himself. And I nearly attacked him in real life because I was so angry, but pissing myself laughing at the same time. It's just, it's so funny. We all played together, would have been like last Halloween now. I think. Yeah. I don't even know mm-hmm. when it was, but I've got to find those clips we put on 
Twitter because there's some. It's mainly just us like being really shrill, but yeah. it's it's very good. Yeah, it's a shame Predator just had none of that magic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely but, not. But they've added Marshawn Lynch, former NFL running back, to the game, so Why maybe it's worth revisiting. Um, <laughs> who knows? Um, got a couple more here. I'm just going to breeze for a couple here because I think Joe has one more and then we're done. Uh, yeah. No Man's Sky. I know it just literally won the, the Game Award for Best Ongoing Game, so it is recognised. Mm. But I'm just constantly impressed by how good that game is and how much better it gets. Like, every time... Like, to be fair, I only play it for maybe a week a year or a couple of days a year. But every time I turn it on, I still have that magic moment of I'm just going to fly there and find something weird and i don't really play the game i just fly to planets sometimes spend 10 seconds there go not for me move on <laughs> and i just i just like finding weird stuff and mm. like that game is finally and probably more than what people imagined it would be at launch like obviously the first year of that game was a problem and whose fault it is i don't know if we'll ever 100 <laughs> percent like really you know i think there's more than one person to blame let's put it that way um yeah but yeah, it's it's like there is literally nothing else like it. It's unbelievable, I think. But yeah, No Man's Sky, and lastly, one I didn't again only played about half of, and wish I finished. But I know Joe, you love as well. I don't, I'm not sure if you do as well, Matt. I can't Never noticed that I, I wear a, wear a shirt with uh, some of its art on. I can't remember all your shirts. I haven't seen you in the <laughs> flesh for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Hollow Knight is the closest I've ever got to liking a Souls-like. Because this is a Souls-like to me. I know some people say it's more of just a very difficult platformer. It's um, it's a Metroidvania, you know, kind yeah. of like, essentially. But, like, I can... It definitely shares elements with Souls, mm-hmm. but that's because Souls share elements with Metroidvania, yeah, exactly. right? Um, but, yeah, it's a very hard game, but also a very beautiful game that, yeah, mainly because it's it was just... To be fair, we said this is a PS4 and Xbox generation podcast. I did play this on Switch. I won't lie to you. Um, <sighs> but it, I remember flying... I don't know where I was flying, but it, it. I played it for a good six or seven hours solid once on a flight and loved it. Uh, you love Hollow Knight, don't you, Jay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the best soul game. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's yeah, just... it's just... Yeah. What? Definitely uh definitely better than that Elden Ring that's coming up, I can tell you oh, that. They won't 100%. even show that game's so bad they won't even show it to anyone. They're scared of Hollow Knight because Silk Song's <laughs> yeah. coming along. Exactly. Um Sekiro, never heard of it. I Hollow want the little guy with a needle. <laughs> Hollow Knight did did something I never thought I it w- could do, which is make me care about a game that's clearly inspired by a Souls game. Mm. Like the way it uses those ideas of like a story told around you rather than to you and like the difficulty but like like painfully satisfying difficulty that all that's all in there what i what what works for me is that it plays as well as a mario platformer like it's as responsive it's as snappy it's as well put together in a lot of those ways as a mario platform which is something i just like more than yeah dark fantasy slow rpgs and so it really clicks for me like it gives me what i 
it gives me what I wish I got out of Dark Souls, but never quite did. Um, it's got that Zelda and, element as well that obviously you'd like yeah. where it's like it's picking up items that suddenly mean entire branches of that world are now accessible. Yeah, and and just because it's hands off enough, it still feels unlike Zelda, which obviously goes to some pains to like make clear what you can and can't do. And Metroid, like there's something about the way it kind of leaves you to experiment with those things. Like they're never as simple as like this is a special green gun that opens green doors. Like, uh, which... I, I know this is completely unrelated, but have you ever played Guacamole, where all the things yeah. you unlock are the same colour as the things you can blow up yeah. with them? And you're like, fuck off, guys. Um, but <laughs> it's a fun game, but I thought that was shit. Um, Hollow Knight, I think, it gives you abilities that just feel like, oh, fuck, that might work there, and you go and try it. And yeah, there's something very satisfying about that. And I can't wait for Silk Song. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, that still hasn't. That's one game I keep thinking has come out, but it still hasn't come out. Yeah, one day. Uh, the last one from Joe Scrabbles. Mm. Oh, yeah, Tales from the Borderlands. We just added this this morning because originally you had um, The Wolf had Among Wolf Us, and then we realised it was on it, the generation it, before. Yeah, it was a month too early. Uh, yeah. But, but Tales yeah, from just, the Borderlands is still, to me, the best Telltale game. because yeah. it understands, and it's the best Borderlands game. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I 100% agree. Um, because to me, it, it does a really smart thing, which is it it swaps the idea of big narrative choice, big, like, world-changing stuff that never quite works, never quite feels like you've done it. And it swaps it for, like, what's the best punchline? It has a really good sense of just, like, it's, it's going to be a joke. So it doesn't matter what you choose. It's just choose which joke you like the best. And I love that. Like, I love this feeling that, like, every, the whole way through I'm going to be playing something that constantly throws new ideas at me and that I'm, I'm having some part in, like... It's like it's like being the shittest member of a sketch troupe that writes really good jokes for you. Like, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that, and like the fact that it's got the whole finger gun scene reference to space, and like it has, a, it's got quite a kind of comedy literate approach to it as well. It's not just doing Borderlands jokes; it's doing yeah. jokes oh, it's genuinely the world good of comedy, not Borderlands jokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, the thing from that is obviously Telltale. Telltale's lineage is LucasArts adventure games, mm-hmm. right? Like that's where it all comes from, and obviously when telltale was set up they did kind of like sam and max and monkey islands and then they realized that their success was going to come with gritty dramas that were harrowing to play and like i adore the walking dead right? i think they're brilliant but seeing though like that team revert back to like well hold on can we go back and make a lucasarts game but it's with characters that people know from this other big shooter and it is it's as close to a monkey island style game as as telltale ever made there's very much like the Guybrush and Elaine dynamic, I think, in the in the two. But yeah, yeah, that's a really good shout. It, it it's yeah, it's a great game. Uh, so yeah, that's our last. I don't know what we call these forgotten games, un- I've uncut got, gems. I've got Gem. one more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got one more. Uh, go on, name them. That's a that's a forgotten <laughs> gem of the last console generation. <laughs> <laughs> you went for that over keyword countdown. Oh, yeah, Keyword Countdown's been around forever. I think Gav invented it when he was about four. <laughs> oh, that's not of the general... Fair enough. We yeah. need to get Go On, Name Em on PS4, though. <laughs> yeah, I want Go On, Name Em on PS4 and Xbox One. Not <laughs> next yet. <laughs> I don't even want it backwards compatible, just so it's no, on this. It's just about that. Um, what do you actually think is... <laughs> I'm just bringing this on you. What do you think is your favourite game in the generation? Mm, you're a piece of shit. Um, I know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you think while I... Like, I'm just. I'm gonna have like a top three because they're interchangeable. I think. Obviously, Overwatch. Overwatch is there for me. 
Red Dead 2 and God of War. I think on their day, any of those could be my favourite of the last seven years. A late, a late surge for you then. Latish. Yeah. Well, to be fair, when I like think about what my favorite games are, a lot of them are from this last generation. I know you talked about mm. it in the past few weeks ago. Games are just getting better and have yep. been getting better. So, those are probably my three favorite games, and also my three favorite games of the generation. Uh, like, I think Edith Finch is up there for me. I, mm-hmm. Like the the effect that had when I played it is so yeah. so impressive. Um, I am just looking at our list that I can't go through uh, audibly. I don't know. Oh, it'll be out by now, but who gives a shit? Um, uh, Red Dead 2, I think, is one of just the most impressive yeah. achievements to me. Like, not in the new stuff it did, but in the sheer polish of it. Like, it's just stupid, the level it got to. Um, yeah. Oh, God, Return of the Oprah Din. <laughs> That's was that even game. on these consoles? Uh, they was. did add it, but yeah. It's, that's also a very good game. Have you got one, Matt, or you just really stumped? Hard. Yeah, so I, I think so. one thing, like, I know that we, we've kind of put rules on this that it was a, it's a PlayStation yeah. and it's an Xbox deal, right? Because obviously I think a lot of people would be expecting me... Like, Divinity is obviously one of my favourite games of it's all time, but for me that's a PC game, and it was the same, yeah, like... The one of the reasons why Disco Elysium hasn't come up with this is because it kind of just doesn't fit here. But like those two yeah. games blow pretty much everything away, for as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of like sticking to our parameters, I adore God of War. Like, like mm. it, I've been banging on for the last like four episodes about how much I like Valhalla. So I think it's obvious like there's a lineage there of that storytelling. But the way that God of War builds on so many concepts and sort of like delivers it's not just a beautiful game like visually it's it's got like a beautiful narrative it's like there's a fundamental systems that run underneath it that this beautiful interconnected world um all of that like i think that's incredible for the reason that everybody knows um dishonored 2 like an absolute astonishing feat of level and art design combined player agency in so many ways like the a real pinnacle of immersive sim design like there's there's few games that i can think of that are so like weirdly effortlessly brilliant in the same way mm-hmm. that dishonored is um yep good choices well, i'm trying to think there, the witch I mean, should be in there pt could be in there like pt for like yeah just sheer fucking blow you away mm-hmm. like never seen anything like it effect um yeah. You Blood haven't bomb. said The Witness. Well, I see, that's the weird borderline for me because, uh, A, I didn't want to talk about The Witness because I've spoken about The Witness. It seems like every single podcast I've ever been on this. Um, B, I do think it will be in some top ten lists. Mm. Maybe not ours. I don't know if we're even having a top ten. I don't know, I don't know how it works. Um, we're, not do- we're not doing a top... We're not no, doing, we're doing a, a hot list. No, we're, we're just ranked. doing... Um, yeah, I just thought like, I spoke about a bunch. But, yeah, that is also another ten out of ten for me. Just like, that is the game i want to play uh but yeah i think like, i am like overwatch for me just is just near perfect i know it's <laughs> in some ways very much not near perfect uh in terms of balancing but i i, I love it and mm. yeah also red dead and god of war those are the ones but i think we can all agree the igen uk podcast game of the generation is windjammers <laughs> yeah <laughs> 25 year old japanese arcade game windjammers yeah. is the best PS4 and Xbox One yep. game, despite not being on Xbox as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any arguments against that, Matt? 
I mean, it's not Bloodborne, is it? But uh, <laughs> well, grow up. Yeah, grow up. Have you, have you not heard us say that uh, Hollow Knight's the best Souls game? Come on. It is. Um, <laughs> um, where's Windjammers 2? That's what I've just uh, remembered. Been delayed delayed. yesterday. Yesterday? I missed yeah. that. There was a lot of news yesterday. And by yesterday, I mean December 10th. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, that was a nice chat that's meandered off, but, you know, that's, that's yeah. what we're here for, isn't it? Um, I'm going to go on download games Pyre. There. So yeah, you, you, you get on Pyre. Uh, yeah, if you haven't played any of those games we mentioned, maybe do yourself a favour and do them. I mean, it's Have not like you can play... you should feel sick about? I'd like to know. IGN underscore UK feedback yeah. at IGN.com. Let us know your uh, forgotten gems. Mm. Please do. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Oh, what a happy new year. When the stars align, the rights shall come to bear. Illuminate the signs, the exiles shall be. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.